3: Holy crap! Hey, other half! We got a serious situation here!
4: I don't job! what is it, Archie? Did we get another American Family Publisher's sweepstakes from Ed McMahon? No!
3: This is something far more dangerous and unpredictable. Apparently, the National Association of Horror Podcast Interns Union, Local 6933 has determined that we here at the Simply Scary Podcast are no longer eligible for the intern exchange program, since we have uh, lost 237 interns and neglected to send even one intern for the exchange program with other horror
4: podcasts. Wow, you're right. This is dangerous and unpredictable. I mean, without interns to kill, what the hell are we supposed to do? Oh, we should tell GM
3: right away.
4: Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, he gets so uptight about us experimenting with different ways to skin interns without leaving that greasy mess. He just has a hard time seeing things from our point of view, you know? For instance, if he were here now, he would probably tell me not to use the Holiday Electric Carving Knife... To figure out the mystery of why interns are filled with an ooey-gooey chocolate center. Uh, But but we're not filled with an ooey-gooey chocolate center! And therein lies the mystery.
3: Yeah, maybe you're right.
4: Okay, well that was inconvenient. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it's quiet, you, while I figure out what's going on. So, uh, you got a letter that tells us what the hell's going on now?
3: Hold on. Okay, that should help. Uh, let's see. Uh, you are pre approved. Nope. Uh, let's see. You qualify for refinancing with Castle Tarras Mortgage Company? Nope. Uh, you can get your monkeys instantly with InstaMonkeys online. Uh, Ah, ah, here it is, the power company. Let's see. Oh, man, when it rains, it pours. The power company has discontinued our status as valued customers due to numerous complaints from advocacy groups and the interns' union detailing strange disappearances of the aforementioned interns. Aw, that and unpaid bills ever since the YouTube censorship changes. Oh man, what are we gonna do?
4: Hmm, maybe we should take this to GM. At least that way we can figure out a way to blame him for it in the long run.
3: Agreed.
4: Hey fellas, what about me? Well, tell you what. Why don't you make friends with Fluffykins, GM's pet? A pet named Fluffykins? That's great! Yeah, I'd be happy to... Um, you should really let me finish. I was going to say, why don't you make friends with Fluffykins, GM's pet? Three-headed mutant hybrid giant leech. Nice, 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 nice leechy, nice leechy. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think those two are going to get along just fine. Now, to the Simply Scary Mobile.
3: Uh, you mean the Segway that GM rented for us to get around the castle?
4: Oh, just get on.
5: What the hell is going on now? Where are those two? I know they have something to
4: do with-
3: Something awful has happened!
5: You're telling me. We are in the middle of a
4: show here. Uh, well, GM, we didn't have anything to do with it this time.
3: Yeah. Not like that time when we blew out the power grid for the local five bros trying to electrocute that it- <coughs>
4: <coughs> uh oh, Archie, uh. ixnay on the electrocution, eh?
5: But, but I have a show to do. I mean, even my reverb has gone out. Two-bit operation can't even pay the electric bill for
4: uh. to- Hmm. Maybe I should talk to the guy in the booth. Hold on. Don't
3: wait. Does he mean?
5: I I think so.
4: Well, if it isn't my favorite Jungian manifestation, what the hell is that? It's, uh, the smaltzy sitcom reaction to my guest entrance? guest schmest. We have a serious issue here, Chief. And what are we gonna do without power? And where did you get the power for the sound effects? That's not important. What is important is someone needs to take charge and be leader here. And as always, it's the unsung behind the scenes... It's
3: kind of hard to describe what we're seeing here. Is he having a self involved hallucination here in front of us?
5: It would seem so. Of course, so I'm not surprised with this collection of
4: malcontents. Okay, team. Sit rep. What's our status? Oh. No power to run sound effects or cue the story, sir. Right. No way to dissect and torture interns, sir. Okay.
5: And my reverb is down. It's hard to sound menacing and threatening without good reverb, you know.
4: (sighs) What? Really? Really? Okay, gang. So, we've screwed the pooch. Huh? Here's what we need to do. You, puppet!
3: Um, vent figure.
4: Whatever. Can you get me enough juice to cue the story narrations?
3: Uh, I just happen to have a giant hamster wheel hooked up to the board in the production room. Seemed like a good idea last week when we called that electrician in. Uh, you know, before we ran him through the extruder.
4: Ooh, yeah. Uh, Okay, that will get us the narrator's excellent performances and some atmosphere. You, schizo! Um, technically, wouldn't you be the schizo? That's not important! We need extreme measures. Get the last of the interns and hit them with the cattle prods. And get them to Archie. Pronto! Wow, you're sexy when you give orders. Ugh. You pale face, drop that intern and give give 'em your spiel. The fans are waiting.
5: Quite right. Um, can I have some reverb, Archie?
3: Right. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Try
5: that out, GM. I am GM Danielson. Uh,
4: really?
3: <laughs> Sorry. It's the best I can do, guys.
4: It'll have to do, GM. Oh. <laughs> well, what the hell. Let's go get em. That's the spirit. And we can do it, team. We've got great narrators and great stories. Are you with me? Yeah. yeah. All right. Hit it, Archie.
5: Step right up and prepare to be unsettled. You have left behind your safe reality and fallen into darkness. There is no escape and there is no reprieve. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast. Season 2, Episode 10, Unplugged. I am G.M. Danielson, your guide through these twisted worlds of the most disturbed imaginations. (laughs) And now to begin the journey. Monsters aren't always the predators, and when they become the prey, monster hunters must be crafty, for the beasts that haunt dreams lie right outside the door. Monster hunter extraordinaire Sir Peter Bishop and the lovely, talented fan-favorite Heather Oldover of Craftlit.com fame perform in Gareth Shaw's Come Into My Parlour.
2: And so the ordeal begins, as it always does, with heavy footsteps on the stairs. The bar of light between the bottom of the door and the chintzy carpet blinking out. Then a tap, a scratch, and another tap on the thin wood. I have tried to ready myself. The lock is engaged, my eyes are closed, my lungs clasping an inward gasp of air but I still jump when a harder knock rattles the door against my face. <coughs> a pause, and then the usual spider-fly silence as we lean in together, trying to catch each other breathing. She creaks her greedy weight against the wood an inch from my ear, and I hear the thudding of her heart. Almost, but not quite in time with mine
4: cup of tea, Mr. Simmons. I've got some nice fresh scones just out of the
1: oven.
2: The voice oils through the door. All warm honey and lavender. A voice I've heard many times before in different places, from different mouths. But the same voice.
3: No need to get up, dear. I'll bring you some up in a bit. Let you get settled in first.
2: I stuff my fingers into my mouth, cramming any betraying words back in, and swear I can hear her old lady bristles scritch, scratching against the door, and catch the smell, faint but definitely there, of her peppermint exhalations. I hate these sieges, the long, heavy waiting silence before the inevitable clash later. It never seems to get any easier but I cling on to my fast-fraying nerves long enough for the bar of light at the bottom of the door to blink back as she shifts, withdraws. Floorboards groan, her heavy steps back down the stairs, quieter, then quiet, then fading away and gone into the depths of her back rooms. The first phase, the first brushing skirmish, the first prod and weighing and testing of each other is complete. There is no sense of celebration, only the knowledge that the hunt is well and truly on. She has my scent and is making her preparations. From the street, the red neon vacancies sign was invisible to the passers-by as they rushed past, too hunched over against December to notice. But I saw it lit up for days and bright against the winter darkness of the bedroom windows. No one in or out of this dying bed and breakfast for a week. The guest book unsigned and left unattended in the lobby through the temptation of an open front door. I watched and I saw the hollowness, the hunger in her as she phantomed in and out of the empty bedrooms, checking bait, testing traps and snares and lures. Inevitably, I found myself shriveling in her stare as I hesitated over the guestbook, remembering all the other hot, greedy eyes that had measured and basted me as I faltered my shaky signature onto the page. How blatantly they display their books of the dead right out in the open, grinning behind us as we willingly add our names to their lists. I couldn't stop myself scanning down the page, trying to spot a likely name. My instinct sharpened by experience. Denzel Davidson? Too alliterative and eye-catching. Too headline friendly. Harold Simpson. Look, used his own pen. A proper one. Unlike the Tatty Biro I'm holding that she had taped to a bit of string. Obviously too old. Too respectable. Sounds like a man with a family. Joe MacIver. Has potential, but just underneath, in neater print, there's a Simone MacIver. Bet they were nice and young, but probably newlyweds, or pretending to be. No use to hunters. No other names stand out, and the MacIver couple wrote their goodbyes. Lovely stay, thanks for the hospitality, three weeks ago. No one stays longer than a few days in these places, which means that she had been waiting for someone just like me. I can feel her behind me, guessing my age, noting my small case approvingly. Later she returns to the book to check my name. David Simmons. I chose it carefully. Like my appearance, hair dyed and natural brown, jeans, plain t-shirt, it is deliberately unremarkable. Read about me in a paper and you will have forgotten me by the time you turn the page. In other words, I have made myself a perfect victim for these predators in disguise, blinking and smiling along with them as they try to hide their delight. How many times have I willingly bitten down on their hooks and let them haul me into their wallpapered and carpeted dens? I can't remember any more, and wonder when my luck will finally run out. My gaze lights against my small travel case leaning against the bed, Just tracing the age lines veining its leather balances the fear of what is to come and I take strength from its dark smell. The case has been with me from the start. It is a reminder that I have survived many battles. I gently lower it onto the bed and the brass latches open. The glow of rich velvet crimsons my face as I ease the lid up. I breathe in the gathered smells of its shadowed depths. Deep, fathomed stillness envelops me, and I allow myself to wallow in its quiet power for a few moments. As my false signature dried, I set my face for the next hollow little scene and cursed myself for flinching, like a small animal hearing a night's twig snap, I thought wretchedly, when she slammed the guestbook shut. Her smile, slightly crooked, "'the false teeth sitting too even in a mouth of puckered skin "'was bright in the floral hallway. "'I always expect stuffed animals in these places, "'but she only had the usual landscape prints "'and bowls of potpourri and floral tat. "'Even though I have unmasked them many times "'and know what lies beneath, "'I still marvel at the effectiveness of the disguise. "'Always, a slightly worn cardigan corsets their dumpy frames.' usually navy with brass buttons, pleated knee-length skirt with thick tights, concertinaed with creases like an oak's growth rings, puddling insensible flat soles. You might think that it's the eyes that give them away, but no, for they have mastered that granny twinkle so well that even I can't see the dark behind them. No, for me, it's the hands their skin may be paper thin the fingers spindled by age but when I watch oh so carefully I see the shadowy buried predator's instinct twitch them into claws when the hunt is on as she ushered me up the stairs she began her anglerfish murmurings
5: sorry I can't help you with your case there Mr. Simmons we get a lot of those just call me Agnes dear
0: with you.
2: She leans in conspiratorially, and I grip my teeth against the tickle of her breath.
0: My
4: mum never went to school.
2: I play my part and grin back, but as she turns to waddle up to the landing, I glance at her clenching hands, and my smile dies quickly. A faint clink and rattle from downstairs jerks me upright. She is almost ready. My blood roars, and I have flailed to the door and unclicked the lock before my horrified mind registers what I am doing. You will run right into her, it tells me. Have you learned nothing? Flicking the lock back on, I stagger back to the bed and crumple upon it. Calm yourself quickly. Remember what to do. Remember the routine. I swallow, wipe my face... Place my shaking hands on the edge of the case and begin to count the fingers. One, two, three, four. No. Too quick. Slow. Must be slow and steady. Control your breath and count again. One, two, three. The creak of a foot on the stair freezes me. She is coming. Come on. Keep counting. Get control. Four. Five. Six. The narrow gap at the bottom of the door is bright still, but in a few more moments she'll cast her shadow across it. I must be ready. Seven. Eight. Nine. Ten. The creak of the stair stops and there is a groan from the banister as she swings around on the landing. I shiver a breath out between my teeth. The narrow gap beneath my door dims as the unstoppably ancient moment where life meets death, where predator meets prey, looms huge and inevitable over us both. The reek of my fears fills the room, almost eclipsing the comforting vapors from the leather case. I steady myself and carry on counting. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen... 15. It is enough. The fear still churns, but it is bound, tempered and confined. I must act now. Gently, I reach into the dark velvet interior of the case and collect up the fingers in both hands and lay them out in a row on the bed. The sight comforts me as always. They are different sizes. I always clean them, polish the nails and take the rings off. Sometimes I have to use pliers if they've sunk into the doughy skin. Despite my care, I see that some of the older ones are beginning to darken and curl. They beckon to her, perhaps, and invite her into her own trap. I like that idea, but decide it's definitely time for some fresh ones. Behind me, the light under the door is blocked out and there is a clink and rattle before she tap-taps on the wood. Taunting, I turn back to the case, and carefully prying up the flap of the concealed compartment in the base, a rectangle of blackness is revealed in the velvet, and in it, the glint of metal. A tap, tap, tap again at the door makes me flinch, but I am finally ready. A squeak from the bed betrays my movement as I rise, but it doesn't matter now. She knows I am here and I must finally face her. I feel her lean forward outside, all hackles and gritted peppermint grin. My hands are nimble now as I click open the lock with one hand, turn the handle, and swing open the door. She is kneeling, frozen in the act of laying a tray, the last lure and final bait on the carpet. The odor of fresh baked scones coils around her. She looks up and her predator's eyes widen brightly in the gloom as she sees past me into the room, to my case and my collection next to it on the bed, all lined up neat as you like. My smile blooms as hers dies. Must remember to take the guest book with me later, I think, and I step forward to invite her to join me.
5: Oh my, it looks like our ghoulish granny would be a formidable foe for any big bad wolf. I had a friend who once was a big bad werewolf. Never felt the same about him after that whole underworld fiasco. When we return, more awaits you from under my cape.
4: Well, howdy folks, the other half here. You want this show to keep going, I know, I know, but we do that with your support. It ain't free, you know. So besides becoming a patron and a member at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com or Patreon.com slash ChillingTales, you might be asking, hey other half, how can I support your form of killer broadcasting? I ain't got no scratch. Well, we've come up with other ways to help us keep this show dead alive. When shopping with Amazon, use the link ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash Amazon or com forward slash Amazon and a portion of your purchases go to keeping this Frankenstein's monster pumping with voltage. So remember... Use ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash Amazon and SimplyScaryPodcast.com forward slash Amazon when purchasing through there to help promote fan-funded entertainment like ours. Now, back to the show.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take.
5: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
6: True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet, where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was, which makes me wonder... If you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story.
5: And now we return for a second story to tempt your fate. Caring for your loved ones should not be an undesirable task. But when their suffering is prolonged, the devastating consequences of seeing them decay before you can snap the most even-minded with the unbearable. The one-woman show that is Brindle and McNair performs in Till Death Do Us Partly.
0: Mabel looks up from her crossword puzzle as George stirs in his armchair. She smooths a crease in her tan stockings, stiffly gets up, and shuffles into the kitchen to get the broom handle. George gazes straight ahead at the black television screen as she goes past. He doesn't blink. Stillness ticks across the room from the carriage clock, bookended by over a dozen bowls of potpourri on the mantelpiece. Dust motes left swirling by Mabel's passage settle and hang in the evening sunshine, filtering through the net curtains. Somewhere a cloud moves and a sunbeam mints a coin of brightness over George's left eye. He still doesn't blink. Nor does he react when Mabel bustles back from the kitchen holding the broom handle. She holds it out in front with both hands so as not to tip the dog bowl duct tape to the end and edges carefully around the deep pile rug. As she sighs down into her chair, she remembers how, for the first couple of weeks after they got it, George would always obliviously shuffle over it, leaving slipper-shod footprints and tut at her when she immediately went down on hands and knees to fluff it back up. George doesn't do it anymore, but Mabel wishes he would. (gasps) Mabel jumps as George suddenly and wordlessly struggles against the belt strapping him to the armchair. The buckles creak but hold, digging into the soft putty of his naked torso. She had to cut his shirt off him and burn it when his sores started to rot it. Careful, George. You'll hurt yourself again, remember? His bleary, bloody eyes are locked onto the dog bowl nostrils flaring. The sound he makes reminds Mabel of torn bellows. Bracing the broom handle against her cardiganed ribs, Mabel leans forward and stretches, concentrating on keeping the wavering dog bowl level in front of George's gaze. She focuses hard on the word scamp painted gaily on the side as George's tongue worms out between his gums and pushes spittle down his chin. Swallowing gristly disgust, Mabel drops the bowl into George's lap and braces herself. With animal flexibility, George bends over and buries his face into pink jellied meat, snorting and swallowing and slobbering. Mabel holds on grimly as the broom jerks in her grasp, trying to keep the bowl away from the wedding ring that dangles on a chain around George's neck. He also wears a pine air freshener. She shudders as she remembers hurrying out to the car, the only one left on the street, to snatch it from the rearview mirror, a scarf over her mouth but still gagging at the smells and smoke, trying to ignore the... the mess. The quiet was the worst. She almost missed the shouting and the sirens. But she is only concerned about the ring. For days, she had watched George's wedding ring sink into his finger in a way that reminded her of when she used to bake, when she'd push her cutter into the plump pastry. George used to love her upside-down cake, but that was a long time ago, and she doesn't think he would eat it now. It had taken all of her nerve and the last of her sherry to approach George during one of his blank periods "'and prized the ring off his limp finger. "'She'd almost retched as the skin at the knuckle tore away as she twisted and pulled. "'His skin had slid off the bone like wet camembert, taking the fingernail with it. "'She had gagged again and dropped the white mess, "'but somehow held on to her sherry and, after fetching her marigolds, rescued the ring. "'It was the first time it had left his finger for over fifty years.' George had stayed true to his promise that he would never take it off. Her eyes drifted to the black-and-white photograph next to the television, the one where they pose young and awkward on a cold, windy beach somewhere. Blackpool? Morecambe? With the sea gray and flat and endless behind them, two strangers in the photo grin at her. "'Is that really us?' George had such smooth skin and such dark hair. He always combed it straight back, made him look slightly Italian. Call me Giorgio, he'd joke. The Lancashire Lothario. George looks up from the empty bowl, meat jelly smeared around his gummy mouth. The disc of sunlight is dropped over his saggy chest, glinting the ring. The sun will soon disappear behind the empty houses opposite, where Ruth and Neville used to live, and Dwayne and Judith, and old Mr. Mavison, who had begged Mabel to leave with them, but she told them all she wanted to stay with George. That had been, she squints over at her country flowers calendar, four weeks ago. Mabel drops the broom handle on the carpet and hugs her cardigan tighter around her as she watches George's eyes slide back towards the television. She turned it off when it started to show nothing but fuzzy static and lose focus. The blankness takes him once more. Mabel goes over to the window but doesn't pull the net curtain aside, just stands and lets the fading sunlight glow the insides of her eyelids. And suddenly, she can feel sand gritting between her toes. The sea is huge and flat all the way to the horizon, it seems. And dark blue, shot through with green, not gray. A breeze rolls, cooling over her hair, and she realizes that her hat is blown off, gone cartwheeling and bouncing along the beach. And there goes George, bounding after it so light on his feet, his dark hair combed straight back, shouting, her Lancashire Lothario. She bursts out laughing and runs after him, holding her skirt down. Stepping over the rug to the mantelpiece, she sleeves a little dust from the photograph and looks over at George. She remembers his grin at the party just a few weeks ago when he'd waved the music down and presented her with the framed photograph. God knows where he'd dug it up, thumbing away her tears as everyone cheered. Before, they had all been there. Mabel looks for the matches and remembers there is only one left, the one she's been saving. She closes the curtains the dark hiding the details of George's hunched form. She knows that George will be blank for a good while yet, but she still tiptoes around his chair and stands behind him, looking down. Shakily and slowly, very slowly, she kisses the tips of her fingers and gently touches them to the top of George's head. His liver-spotted scalp is peeling. Dark hair combed straight back and gives under her touch. George doesn't move. Still slowly, eyes always on George's face. She fumbles at the buckles of his restraints and flinches each time a belt thumps to the carpet. He gazes straight ahead at the television screen. I'm going up now, George. The ring sits against his barely moving chest. Love you, dear. She whispers, then shuffles out. The smell of George's aftershave still ghosts around the bedroom, and Mabel inhales deeply, eyes closed. The headboard creaks loudly.
4: <laughs> Bloody give the neighbors something to talk about, eh, hey, Mabel?
0: He'd said, "'nudging her as she flapped him away in mock disapproval. "'As she reaches over to the bedside table, to the card there. "'It is made of folded paper, "'but is stiff with big dollops and swirls of paint. "'It flakes onto the quilt, but she doesn't notice. "'It's dark in the bedroom with the streetlights out, "'but in the candlelight, Mabel can see two stick people on the front, "'smiling and holding hands amid exclamations of primary colors.' Underneath them is a big 50 in shaky orange red hearts form a border Mabel opens the card Another stick couple this time the man is dressed in a gray suit and top hat and the woman is beaming in a long wedding dress painted bright white Mabel reads her daughter's neat print out loud to the dark bedroom Dear grandma and granddad happy wedding anniversary We told our class at school about it, and they all clapped. Our teacher said it was a very long time. We are very proud of you and love you very much. We hope you are married forever and ever. Underneath are spidery squiggles, but Mabel knows they say love, Declan and Ella. There are lots of big black crosses, 50 of them. Moving her lips but making no sound, Mabel counts each one flashing through memories and years, people and places. The silence stretches out until Mabel hears the creak of the living room door downstairs. She frowns at the tremor in her hands, the crinkled skin, the blue veins like fault lines. She carefully stands the card back on the bedside table, slides over to her side, adjusts her nightdress, and waits. George's slippered footsteps are draggy and slow. You want that hip seen to? On the stairs. Forcing open big knuckled fingers she didn't realize were clenched into fists, Mabel adjusts her wedding ring and smooths out the duvet. She waits for the creak about halfway up, the step George never saw to. George's labored footsteps reach the top then shuffle across the landing. Pick your feet up, you'll scuff the carpet! A smell has come with them. One that quivers Mabel's stomach. She concentrates instead on the dark space framed by the bedroom doorway. Suddenly remembering, she leans across the bed and blows out the candle. Her breath feels whispery and faint.
4: You've the lungs of a horse, lass
0: and the flame sputters before going out. She looks back, and there he is, shadowed and leaning in the doorway, the dark hiding the details. She can't hear him breathing over the thin hiss of her own wheezing, but can just see the slight rise and fall of his shoulders, and she knows he is looking at her from the blackness of his face. His dark hair is combed straight back, Mabel glances over at the anniversary card. She softly pats the duvet beside her. My Lancashire Lothario.
6: Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted, but the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story.
5: That was dark, even by our wicked standards. And ironic as well, given the current energy-deprived circumstances. When we return from this short break, it will be down the deep, damp, dark, dank den. And hopefully give the writers some time off to cure their Susian surreptitiousness.
4: THE SIMPLY SCARY PODCAST, SEASON 2, EPISODE 10. Become a patron today and you'll get the extended version of this show. Here's a sample of the extra stories you get when you become a member.
5: Fire! The engines burning!
6: Look! This side! I can see flames!
4: All heads turned at the voice. I'm cursing myself for being ridiculous. So I try another show? Help! Please, someone help me! Anyone? Anyone? Become a member today. Go to simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash tour to get more horror than you can handle.
5: You, like every human, will face your time to die. But what if your approaching final moments became more of a proving ground for new technology than a way to elicit corporeal transition? If you're thinking RoboCop, think again. Find out the results of this terrifying test as Jason Hill and Jesse Cornett perform in Sweet Victory.
7: even before I hear the bullet in my head speak to me, I know two things. The first is, it's a Turquamata special. The inevitable second is that it's going to kill me soon, and I also know it's going to be long, long and painful, just as advertised. The dreaded screaming whistle hit me in the back of the head and stopped itself before it took off my face. Just like the instructor said, there's never an exit wound with a mata; They don't leave the victim's body. That's where they do their work. The officers tell you once hit, you've got about five seconds to save yourself. You blow your brains out before it's too late. But the impact of the strike knocked me forward, and during those precious seconds I slammed into a tree and I blacked out. I come to standing up, leaning against the tree like some drunk. The bullet won't let me move anything except my eyes. Half the world now, close-up moss, green bark, and drying blood where the bark is cut into my cheek. But it won't let me bleed to death. I can feel its spiderwebs crawling through me, down from my brain a sting, a sting as they burst through the roof of my mouth, and down my throat and into my body, my stomach, my liver and kidneys and arms and my legs. I know it's futile to struggle once a torquemada has you, but I just can't stop my body trying to fight back, my locked throat trying to gag and the bullet's wriggling wires. I roll an eye down to the forest floor where my rifle lies. Forget it. Might as well be a million miles away. Wait. Is this my voice or... or are the bullets? Did I, did I say something? My thoughts are... My thoughts are jumbled.
4: Stop trying to move. And let me do my work.
7: Back at training camp, they told us the Torquemadas sound like someone trying to do an impression of a Shakespearean actor. All booming authority and stressed syllables. Can you imagine being tortured to death by a poor man's King Lear? Dutifully, we all laughed at the time. <laughs> Spiking pain suddenly whites out the world, and I automatically scream in a way that I've never done before. The pain ends abruptly. No after effect, it just goes. I start to shake. The scream. My voice completely gone over the edge, just like that. Men who've had legs or arms blown off, seen their friends die, watched guts spill into their laps. They're the ones that I've heard scream like that. A scream of... out of disbelief. A shaking, like the pain suddenly cuts off my vocal cords. Still trying to shape a scream.
4: This was to test your pain tolerances for the upcoming ordeal. Make sure I have the control I need. Now I am going... To stop your breathing. All I can do is
7: stare wide eyed at the bar cutting into my face as my lungs stop. I can't hold back the drowning panic as my chest seems to fill with cold hollowness. My brain frantically trying to send signals, telling my lungs to inflate. My jaw aching to open, to breathe, to breathe. Please! Blood burns in my cheeks. I stare. I stare. My lungs expand in my chest and I gasp relief and tears into the bark.
4: As you already no doubt know, I am a Takamata Special. It is my duty. To put you through as much pain as possible before your inevitable death, after which I will self-destruct with a blast radius of approximately 1.6 kilometers.
7: The camp is much closer than that, but it's invisible to my desperately swiveling eye. Too far for a shot to carry, even if I had control over my voice. I burn with frustration. The trees sigh their indifference around me.
4: I transmitted a message to your comrades just after I entered your head. I can read their heat signatures receding as they quickly leave what remains of your emplacement. They also know that any attempted approach or rescue will also trigger my self-destruction. You, my friend, are going to die. And die alone.
7: I knew I was going to say something like this. I've heard many similar variations, but this is different. In the past, I'd always thought of the voice to be pompous or ridiculous as it came crackling out of a speaker, but now, right there in my head, behind my face, it is cold,
4: calm, and utterly truthful. Your bladder wishes you to wet yourself. I will let
5: it.
7: Despite everything... I am ashamed as the hot urine runs down my legs. Well done, soldier.
4: Now then, your heart rate has increased and your adrenal gland is very active. You are angry. Here is something for you to focus on.
7: I shake with fury and shame as my left arm suddenly clenches into rock-solid tenseness. All the muscles squeeze together in a way they're not meant to, and my fury evaporates as a series of popping noises signal a growing warmth in my forearm.
4: Those popping sounds are some of your ligaments snapping in your arm. I must say, they did go rather easily. In case you are feeling any pride about the fact that you haven't screamed, that is because I have smothered the agony in endorphins. This is what it really feels like.
7: When I come to again, the agony in my arms faded back to throbbing heat. Sweat stings the two halves of my world. The forest, close-up of the bark that pricks my cheek, it blurs and I cannot even blink.
4: I am an exclusive, ultra-top-spec, latest-gen, incredibly expensive piece of kit, and only the 27th to have been used. So why you? I know you are wondering. You don't know any military secrets. You are only a corporal. You don't actually have any power or influence. Do you? Pinned
7: to a tree and unable to even breathe on my own, the irony does not escape me. My fury returns and stronger than ever, but I don't even know if it's directed at the bullet anymore. I just... I want to kill something. To smash and stomp and howl. Just to grit and grind my teeth and relieve the aching in my jaw. My brain fires commands again and again at my hands, willing them to rise up and tear the bullet out of my head, to rip it out and crush it into powder. But my arms hang like dead branches.
4: Even the one that works. What good would targeting some meddled Field Marshal do? Would the fellows who actually go out into the world day after day knowing that strangers are going to try to kill them actually care. The everyday fellows in your company now know that the enemy will not hesitate to use one of their horrifying torture bullets on them. Anyone, even the most expendable soldier ants like you, know they could be specially targeted For a truly awful death. Like you.
7: My fury collapses and the bullet briefly releases my lungs to me and allows me to curse and sob into the bloodied bark. I shudder like a child, coughing tears and snot down my uniform.
4: That's it, soldier. Keep it up. Our exchange is being recorded, of course, and will be transmitted to as many of your side as possible. Imagine the horrified looks on the faces of those who have to go out and face the enemy in the morning as your blubbering and howls of pain echo over the camp. Imagine their faces as they realize that it could be them next. That kind of fear is worth the deaths of a thousand
6: generals.
7: I gasped in distilled silence again, my muscles clamped rigid.
4: Eight signatures. Three. Some of your company approaching the tree line. A rescue! I bet there isn't one general among them. All bullet fodder like you. They know all about me, yet still they come to try and save you. See? That's exactly why those are the kind of soldiers we need to overcome. Beat them. And we've won.
7: I frantically swivel an eye over the tilting trees around me. My lungs inflate and deflate just enough to give me oxygen, but never enough to let me speak. I can feel the bullet clamp down on my throat, using my own muscles to squeeze me into dumbness. How can I signal them? Who would they be? Shilson. Yeah, Shilson. Shilson must be one of them. Against regs we made a promise to watch over each other. Shilson's face is blurry in my memory, but but I put it down to my stressed state. Why is his uniform pin sharp? Well, I can even recall his identification. S com26 Shill. He's lean. Angular. He's just like me, but. In my mind, his helmet sits over a dark smudge. Even the eyes are lost to me. But I remember our vow. I remember our vow. Sh- Sh-sh-sh-sh-sh-sh-sh-shilson. please. I. I. I'm
4: over here. <laughs> You might as well calm down, my friend. They are not going to spare you a long death. I'm not going to self-destruct just yet. In fact, this could be an ideal opportunity to score a few psychological points. Let's see if we can scare them off. Shall we? Send them scuttling off with lurid tales of the dreaded Takamata Special.
7: Something moves inside me. Something thin, like wires in my throat. My tongue is tangled in them and moved, the sinew shifting. I gag, but nothing comes up. Muscles in my throat tighten and loosen. Yet again, all I can do is stare madly at the bark as I am readied. My lungs balloon in my chest, then whoosh out air through my quivering mouth. I try to cry out, but my throat and lips make the wrong shape. And instead, my voice, thin, quivery, yet yet definitely my voice, it whistles out.
4: Stop!
7: I dry-gag again as my throat muscles are needed, and my lungs whoosh out another burst of air. Stop!
4: The, the
7: bullet spare me turn around, leave, come any closer and it'll, it'll make sure I, I die in agony before... I, It detonates, and takes you with it. Please! I don't, I don't want it to hurt me! My jaw stops moving, and the voice that isn't my voice fades into the trees. Tears roll from my unblinking eyes once more, and the bullet allows me another sob. The moment lengthens. A tree might crawl past my eye, a monster clambering over looming bark.
4: Tremendous! They are still coming! Time to stretch myself a little. Prepare yourself! <laughs>
7: No, no, don't!
3: Please, please!
7: My voice, that is not my voice, echoes out again. I try to grit my teeth, but instead my lips are forced into a grin. My arms clench again begin to bend at the elbow, muscles dragging torn ligaments underneath the skin. Sweat and tears run into my mad smiling mouth as my arm is dragged behind my back
4: and then up. They are 1500 meters away. Close now, closer. Get ready for your big moment. And up.
7: Through a blanket of pain, I am sure that I can hear my arm creak. I imagine the bones splintering and cracking. I feel my hand quivering against my shoulder blades.
4: They've paused. Wait for it. Let the breeze drop. Wait. Now.
7: Several bones crack at the same time and suddenly my lungs and throat are released. I scream, and I scream through my lunatic grin before the trees gray out into unconsciousness. When I returned is to a dull burn, the sense of something hanging loose by my side. I know it is my ruined arm. But the bullet has dulled the pain again so that I cannot feel it. I wouldn't know it was there except for the dead weight nudging my leg when the breeze blows over me. The air is cold on my teeth. I realize that a grin is still etched on my face. A vein pulses in my
4: temple. That worked well. Those heat signatures faded very quickly indeed. Oh my, your tear ducts will be empty very quickly if you keep this up. Chin up. Keep smiling. Yes, a bit more. Just like that. Take comfort in the fact that you are doing your bit to bring this horrible war to a swifter end. Imagine again the silence The horror-stricken faces of your comrades As your screams echo through their mess halls and sleeping quarters
7: It's like my brain has been jump-started by the pain Like my tears rinsed the blur away. I Remember the food hatch the training unit, the holding quarters, all, all vividly now. I remember S. Company's building, Shilson's bunk next to mine, our names tagged the metal frames and stenciled on our wrists for identification purposes after battle. Our bunks in a row, Samson, then Shilson, then me, and Sloanson, and Smithson, and Summerson. Some of them. One of them will surely come for me. The Torquemada speaks again, as if it senses my
4: hope. Perhaps your suffering and death will make even your generals think twice about this war. A long shot, as they say, if you'll pardon the pun. <laughs> Its
7: low chuckle rumbles around the inside of my skull. Makes the back
4: of my eyeballs itch. Yet, you may save some of your brother's lives. That is worth the pain, surely? Don't you feel noble? And talking of pain, it is time we started getting serious for my next trick. I am...
7: My bullet hits true and I watch his body slump to the ground and roll away from the smeared tree. I wait in the distant branches another moment. Glance at the jammer on my belt Green lights blink back. No transmission sent. I slide down and I glide away, leaving SCOM36SIMP alone, grinning into the gloom.
5: Hmm, that didactic dialectic was devastatingly
3: devious.
5: (laughs) After one final important message, we'll bring you up to date on the latest information in the world of the Simply Scary Podcast.
4: I need those! Oh, put a suck. It doesn't hurt that bad. Well, hello, boys and girls. It's me, the other half here. I just wanted to let you know that if you become a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, you get an extended version of this show. You'll get more than you can handle, I guarantee that. Not only will you get these episodes in full horror psycho audio color, but you'll also get extra goodies that you won't find anywhere else, and we'll make it worth your while. Don't you worry about that. Go to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash tour and take the tour today and see what you're missing. Now I gotta get back to work here. Alright, who's next?
5: (laughs) You can support horror programming from the Simply Scary Podcast by using the link simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash Amazon in your address bar when planning to do your shopping with Amazon.com. Just a quick reminder that when you subscribe to our YouTube channel, make sure to click on the little bell next to the subscribe button to make sure you are alerted whenever a new video is posted to our channel. And as always, we humbly ask that you please allow the YouTube ads to play through during our show, and to occasionally click on these ads to assert your viewership, and solidify our ability to continue creating content that disturbs you. This is G.M. Danielson, thanking you for tolerating our little energy outage. But stay tuned to see what will be coming... Join us next time for heart stopping thrills, fantastically frightening chills, and rest assured that all will not end well. For you are just experiencing the Simply Scary Podcast. Um uh, The Simply Scary Podcast Hmm. Well, usually plays the music here.
3: Oh, sorry, guys, but, uh, the, uh, the interns are dead from exhaustion. Uh, either that or the electrocution. And we aren't getting any more anytime soon.
4: <sighs> well, fellas, that was a fantastic show anyway. But it looks like the shutdown continues. So we need you for another more important mission. Keep the show going by using Chilling Entertainment's patented fear extractor to directly pull stories of fear from the author's brains. And, uh, how exactly are we gonna do that, smart guy? Well, it just so happens that Vlad the Impaler there... uh,
5: Excuse me. That's Dark Overlord of the Vampire Coven of the House of Danielson of the Greater Northern Transylvanian Danielsons...
4: Anywho... Vlad the Impaler there has a van that he keeps parking in my parking space, by the way.
5: You mean the Dragon Wagon?
4: I guess. You'll take the Dragon Wagon on the road to find these authors and get the stories right out of the source.
3: Yeah! Kind of cool, huh? Wow! That's cool! And so we'll sneak into the office house in the dead of night chloroform them mercilessly, and cut open their skulls with that to get to that chewy nougat of fear that's inside?
4: Or we could just tell them. If you let us use your stories on the show, uh, then we'll let you use this on your neighbor whose dog keeps shit. Look, I really don't care how you do it. Just do it, and use the Chilling Entertainment's patented anywhere Wi-Fi spot to upload it directly to me when you get it. Gee... You'd think with all the patents we have, we would be able to pay the electric bill. Oh, now you've done it. Now the almighty Dark One wants to get involved. And you know how things get when Craig's involved.
3: (sighs) Yeah, he decides to force Ritual Sepulchre for public display on social media. (laughs) N- no, sir. Uh, that was the dummy. Uh, vent figure. Uh,
4: oh,
3: sorry, sir. Uh, it-, it won't happen again.
4: All righty. I will tell him. So, he wants you guys to get this right and not screw things up. So, good luck. And don't take any wooden igloos. Okay. Well,. Let's get a look at that van of yours.
5: Well, here she is. The Dragon Vagon. (laughs) Oh, right. No sound effects.
4: GM. I gotta hand it to you. Mag wheels, skull shifter, Ed Big Daddy Roth mural painted on the side. And, and is that a naked lady? I think you're a little I, young for this, Archie. I can't see <laughs> so, where did you get this, GM?
5: Oh, I got this when I followed around the Black yeah. Sabbath in the 1970s. It's no fair! Oh, the band? Come on. Seriously? What band?
3: Uh, you really should get out more, GM.
5: I actually travelled a lot in those days. San Francisco, California, Austin, Texas, Rochester, New York, the Highway of Tears in British Columbia.
4: Wait, aren't those also locations of unsolved serial murders in the 70s?
5: Let's just say the 70s was a very prolific time for me. (laughs) Yes...
3: <laughs> well, we ain't getting any younger. I am. And those skulls aren't gonna solve in themselves.
5: Shall we, fellas? Let's, Let's do,
3: do it! it! <laughs> cool. Oh, wow, it ain't trash.
4: This is executive producer Jesse Cornett. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groshek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions, email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the Patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC 2017. Thanks for listening.
1: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
5: Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers.
0: Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.